multiple times a week, all the time. Here's what I'm talking about. I was driving home from my mother-in-law's one day a couple weeks ago, and Patrick was with me in the back seat in his car seat. We are stopped at a red light because 123 has literally half a million stoplights on it. I've counted. So we were stopped at a stoplight. And I heard Patrick say something from the back seat of the car that I couldn't quite make out. Then the light turns green, and I hear him. I hear my two-year-old, the, the little guy that I was just holding, I hear him shout, clear as day, green means go! <laughs> and I am awash in this feeling, this feeling of, of love and affection and adoration, and all I can think is, I have the coolest kid in the whole world. <laughs> now, whether you have children or not, whether you're married or not, I'm sure you understand the feeling that I'm talking about. It might be about your child if you have kids. It might be about your spouse if you're married. It might be about your girlfriend or boyfriend or a girlfriend or boyfriend you had back in the day. This feeling of deep love and affection for someone else. How do you communicate that feeling? How do you really let other people know that you have that for someone else? Well, one way is you tell stories. When Jesus came to be with us, God incarnate, his gospel message, his good news, was that the God of the universe feels for you the way I feel for my son. That is a huge message. That is a great message. That is earth-shattering and world-changing news. And how do you communicate something like that? How do you communicate something so huge? How do you let the world in on news that big and great and glorious? Well, you tell stories. So here's a story that Jesus told. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. Immediately we are dropped into a world that is already fully formed which is how we are dropped into this world. The first humans came into a world they did not create. You and I came into this world not as a result of choices that we made, but by choices that others made. We were given life. We were given our place in this world. We were dropped into a situation not of our own doing, which is something we are so keenly aware of on Mother's Day. Today we celebrate the fact that we are created based on the choices and openness of other people. We are birthed at the great effort of another person. We are sustained in our early vulnerable years out of great love from somebody else. So when we get to the point of being able to do something for ourselves, to make something of ourselves, to be our own person, we are already wholly indebted to others. Which means that everything we have is a gift which means that everything we have, we have received. This is precisely the way that the Bible talks about creation in Genesis 2. The Bible says that God took great care in creating a lush, beautiful garden and placed Adam in the garden to take care of it. We'd expect Adam to work in the garden and to tend it and to take care of it with gratitude to the one who had placed him in the garden. We'd expect Adam to worship and love the one who gave him all that he had. And on some level, we'd expect that of ourselves as well. We are dropped into this world not of our own efforts, but by the grace of others. 
We survive based on the efforts and love of others. And on some level, we should expect that we would view the world with gratitude. We would view God with worship and with love. And when we hear a story about a father having two sons, we should expect that both sons would look at their father with gratitude and with love. And yet, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, there's a couple things we have to realize about this story. In ancient times, split per stirpes inheritance was not a common practice like it is today. In ancient times, most everything was passed down to the eldest son. And younger sons, well, they had to go off and make something of, their, of themselves. So when the youngest son can come and demand his share of the estate, this tells us something important about the father. Namely, that he is gracious and generous beyond the norm. The father has not only provided a comfortable life for his sons, the youngest in particular, but he goes above and beyond to promise him part of the estate when the father dies. Our God is no different. You see, it would have been more than enough for God to give us this world and this life. It would have been more than enough for God to give us all that we can see and touch and taste and experience. But our God goes a step beyond that. Our God makes covenant with us. Our God attempts to be in relationship with us. Our God comes to be with us personally in Jesus Christ. Think about most other religions. The God or gods create all there is or are a part of the creation of the world and are a part of the governing of the world. And sure, the gods might make ethical demands on our life, but relationship, covenant, incarnation coming to be with us personally, that is a step that only our God takes. But back to our youngest son. He receives his comfortable life from his father and the gracious promise of security later in life. And he says, give it to me now. Instead of responding to the father with gratitude and grace and love and worship, the younger son responds with demands, entitlement. And in demanding his inheritance early, he's essentially telling his father that he wishes he were dead, which is awful, terrible. But is it any different than what we do to God? This is the gospel message, that God loves us so much, desires relationship with us so much, that God came down from heaven to be with us in Jesus Christ. God came among us, God came to us, God came here. God became a person, namely Jesus of Nazareth. And this is what happened next. We rejected him. We despised him. We wished he was dead. We wished he was dead so much that we arrested him, tried him, and killed him. And lest you think it was a flight of passion that led to Jesus' death, a one-time thing that just got a little out of hand, go reread the Gospels and you'll find that people were trying to kill Jesus from the start. You'll lose count on how many times someone plots to kill Jesus. Because this is what happens. God comes into this world, into the middle of our lives, and we don't want him there. So we kill him. We push him out of this world when he comes to be with us in Jesus Christ, and we push him out of our hearts when he comes to be with us in our lives. And our God loves us so much that he lets us do this. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The younger son goes off to live on his own. He goes off to do his own thing. He thinks that life will be better, more fun, from when he's out from under the thumb of his father. And for a while it is. Let's be real. Wild living could be kind of fun, right? Real talk, you know what's really hard? Being the first one to the donut table every Sunday. Because I walk up, and even though those colossal donuts are colossal, once it hits your lips, you just, I want all the donuts. And I can have all the donuts because I'm the first one to the table. And every day on my way to work, I pass the shoppers that sells the colossal donuts. And every day I want to go in and buy the colossal donuts. And there's a, not one, but two five guys five minutes from where I work. And a sweet frog. I just said, my wife looks very worried because I just said the sweet frog. And Patrick heard the word sweet frog. He knows what that means. And I want to go and eat there every day. Oh, and there's a Chick-fil-A right by my work, too. I want to eat there every day. I want to eat at all of those places every day. Because a life without consequences is a good life, is it not? And there was a time I could eat whatever I wanted and not have any consequences. It was called high school. (laughs) But I'm not there anymore. And if we live as if there aren't consequences... Eventually, things fall apart because there are consequences. There are consequences to eating a colossal donut. Namely, I have to run two miles. Because we live in a world of consequences. We all do. And when we live as if there are no consequences, at some point, things fall apart. Things break down. Which is exactly what happens to our younger son. He goes off on his own. He lives as if there are no consequences, and his life unravels. There's a famine. He has no connections, no real friends, no family, no support system. And he is left to feed the pigs. He is so desperate for food. He is so desperate to fill his stomach with something that he wants to eat pig food. Now, if you have been there, if you have been in that moment, you know what the younger son felt. You know what it's like. Now, if you haven't been there, I can't really convince you of what it's like. All I can say is that a life spent living like there are no consequences breaks down. Eventually, our choices catch up with us, and we are brought low. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. There's a detail in this story I don't want us to miss. When the younger son comes to himself and determines to go back to his father, it is on the basis of how his father treats his servants. You see, the younger son has basically been reduced to the role of a servant. He has the lowest of jobs working with unclean animals. 
And I don't mean unclean like they smell, although pigs do smell and are just not clean, but religiously, ritually unclean. He has sunk as far as an Israelite can sink. But then he thinks about how his father treats his servants. He thinks about how they have more than enough to eat, how they have everything they could need, how they have more than he has. So when he determines to go back to his father, it's on the basis of his father's generosity. He determines to go back to his father on the basis of his father's love. He goes back, he determines to go back to his father, but only because of who his father is. When we talk about God's contagious love, what we have to know and realize is that God's love is showered upon us and working on us before we ever know who God is or realize that God is there. God's love calls out to us in ways that we can't comprehend. And our movement back to God starts with what God is doing in our lives before we are aware of who God is. It starts with the God who created us and loved us from before the dawn of time, who loves us and gives us grace until just a little bit sneaks through our walls and we start to wake up. Now, the other detail from this part of the story I want us to see is that the son prepares a speech. He's got a speech in his mind of what he's going to say upon being reunited with his father. And this speech will be his justification for returning home. It will be the thing that turns the inevitable anger of his father. It will be the thing that facilitates his reconciliation. Any one of us that has ever been in trouble knows what it is to have a speech. I remember being a teenager and getting caught doing something wrong. That never happened, though. Yes, it did. I had a few hours before my parents were going to be home, a few hours before I would actually technically be in trouble. So I had time to prepare the speech. I had time to try to find the words that would justify myself before my parents. It's no different than what we try to do with God. We all search for that speech, for those words that will somehow justify ourselves, that will somehow justify our actions, or will somehow get us out of trouble. Our younger son is sure that his words will justify him before his father and get him out of the trouble that he's rightly in. But it's as if we think that apologizing is an active thing and forgiving is a passive thing. Well, if I say the right words and apologize, that's it. I will be out of trouble. But forgiveness is active. Forgiveness is something that someone else has to do. Forgiveness is the agency that the offended party has. When we stand before God with our speech and our attempts to justify ourselves, we forget that God stands in the right and us in the wrong. That God has the freedom to forgive or to punish. That we are in the hands and in, under the power of God. Our younger son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. If there is anyone in here today who wouldn't consider themselves a Christian, if there is anyone in here today who wouldn't consider themselves a follower of Jesus, but who is feeling like maybe God is calling to them. Maybe God is reaching out to them. If there is someone in here who wants to follow Jesus, who wants to love God, 
but doesn't feel like what they've done in their past, where they have been, makes them worthy of God's love. Then on this day and in this place, I want you to hear the good news. That while the prodigal son was still far off, his father saw him. His father was looking for him. His father was watching for him, waiting for him. And before the son, the prodigal son, the son that went away, saw his father, his father saw him. And he ran to him. And he hugged his son and he kissed his son. He hugged his son. He kissed his son. He hugged his child. He kissed his child. If this morning you feel like the prodigal son, if this morning you feel like someone who has left God, who has run, run from God, who wants to come back but doesn't know if God wants you back, I want you to hear that God is watching for you. God is waiting for you. God is looking for you. And at the first moment that God senses that you want to come back, God stands ready to run to you, to embrace you, to envelop you in love, and to call you child. That is the gospel. That is our faith. That is our hope. That all of us, no matter where we have been or what we have done, regardless of the, the fact that we have pushed God out of our lives, are welcomed back by God, are embraced by God, are loved by God, and are called children of God. That is our gospel. That is our faith. That is our hope. That in spite of all we have done, we can call God Daddy. And that is God's contagious love. A love that waits for us even when we are still far off. A love that calls us child in spite of our fleeing. A love that never gives up on us, never forsakes us, never leaves us. A love that never lets go. Yet a love that will never coerce. A love that patiently, graciously calls out to us, waiting for us to respond. But a love that, upon the first inkling of a response, will ensnare us and wrap us and never let us go. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. There's his speech. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now here's the thing about the love of the father that I believe made it contagious enough for our younger son to come back. It would have been enough for our father to welcome the son back. It actually would have been enough for the father to go along with the son's plan and for the son to become one of the father's servants. But the father goes one step further and welcomes him back as a son. It would have been enough for the father to welcome him as a son. But the father goes one step further and puts a fine robe on him and sandals on his feet. It would have been enough for the father to close his son, but he goes one step further and puts a ring on his finger. It would have been enough. It would have been extravagant enough for the father to adorn his son, but he goes a step further and throws a party, kills the fatted calf, and celebrates with his friends and family. Are you getting a sense of the abundance, the celebration of this moment? Our God is no different. It would have been enough for our God to simply forgive us and be done with us. But our, go our God goes one step further and wants to be in relationship with us. It would have been enough for our God to have a relationship with us, 
But our God goes a step further and calls us child. It would have been enough, it would have been more than enough for our God to forgive us and to call us child, but our God showers us grace upon grace and mercy and blessings. Our God showers upon us love. Our God loves us into being new creations, better versions of ourselves, the people that God created us to be. Our God does all of this and then promises to spend eternity with us and us with him in an existence of love and joy and grace. Are you getting a sense of the abundance, the celebration of God's contagious love? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he, re he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother said, hallelujah, my brother's back. No. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now, perhaps you're here today, and you don't really resonate with the younger brother. Perhaps you're here today, and you were raised in the church, and never left the church, and don't know what it's like to live a life outside of God. And maybe, just maybe, You've never really loved the story of the prodigal son because it doesn't really speak to you. It's okay to admit that. Safe space. And when we call the story the story of the prodigal son, it obscures the fact that there are two sons in this story. And as a middle child, I feel like that is wholly unjust. Well, our older son doesn't quite get what all the fuss is about either. He doesn't understand why we are making such a big deal out of a reckless younger son who really should have gotten his act together years ago. In fact, aren't we just glorifying poor behavior? Aren't we validating the reckless lifestyle that our younger son lived? It might sound like God's contagious love is only for people who identify with the younger son. It might sound like the gospel is only for those who identify with the prodigal, but that's not the case. God's contagious love is for all, even those who identify more with the older son. Let me explain by continuing our story. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. This is what we know about the Father. He is loving. He is generous. He is gracious. He is forgiving. He is the kind of Father who promises his younger son a greater inheritance than he is due. He is the kind of Father who lets his son go off on his own if that's what his heart desires. He is the kind of Father who waits every day for his son to return. He is the kind of father who never th once thinks of his children as anything less than his children. 
and he is the kind of father who celebrates when his son comes home. But yet, just like the younger son forgot some things about the father, our older son has forgotten some things too. Our older son has an image of his father as someone who is a slave driver, who doesn't like fun, who demands joyless obedience, who treats his son as he treats his servants. So when the younger son comes back and has a party thrown for him, the older son is brooding, wishing he could have been celebrated. Sometimes those of us who have been in the church a while forget something about our God. Sometimes those of us who have been in the church a while come to think that our God is a God who demands joyless obedience. Sometimes those of us that have been in the church a while wish that we had a party thrown for us as we have been faithful for years. And this is why God's contagious love is for everyone. This is why this sermon is for everyone. This is why this story is for everyone. Because we all need God's contagious love from time to time. We all need a dose of God's grace from time to time. We all need to be reminded of the joy and the celebration and the life that come from following God. We all need to realize that life in God is a party. And if we aren't the prodigal, if we, aren't the ty- if we are the type of people that have been in church every Sunday since our infant baptism, if we are the people who have been Christians forever and ever and ever and ever, God celebrates us too. God throws a party for us too. God is enraptured in joy for us too. Jesus told a story about his father and his two sons. But by no, we now, help him, Lori. But by now we all know that it's a story about all of us. All of us and a God whose contagious love is for all of us. Today, no matter who you are or where you've been, I hope you'll join the party. I hope you'll get caught up in God's contagious love. I hope that you'll celebrate it, revel in it, dance for joy in it, and I hope you'll share it. I hope you'll go from this place to spread the contagious message of a contagious love. There's someone in your life that needs to hear it. If you take a moment, I bet you can picture them. God is up there on a hill, waiting for that person, watching for that person, waiting for the opportunity to run to them, to hug them, and to call them child. What a father. What a God. What contagious love. What a message. Let's go tell it. Let us pray. God, words, prose, can't express your love. We need stories. We need illustrations. And even still, those fall short. We need song, we need dance, we need poetry. And still even that falls short. Because your love for us is so great, so grand, so contagious, that we can't comprehend it. But God, help us to enjoy it. Help us to celebrate it. Help us to join the party. Help us to get caught up in the life and love and grace that is you. And help us to tell others about it. 
in whatever ways we can. Help us to tell this story. Help us to tell our story. Help us to tell your story. Because there's someone in our lives that needs to know about this love, that needs to come to this love, that needs to join the dance and the party and the celebration, or that just simply needs to take a first step and wait for you to run to them. Give us the courage to go from this place and tell that message. And God, if there is anyone in here today who is thinking about turning to you, who is thinking about turning to you for the first time, give them the grace to do that. And then let them feel your love and presence and grace and peace surround them as you whisper in their ear, I love you, child. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who not only told us about this love, but showed us this love. Amen.